Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome, Jamsters, to the Suns Jam Session podcast, hosted by John and Matthew. How are you doing today, my friend? Good, John. What's going on, dude? Uh, just another fun day in Phoenix. You know, it's Monday. That's when we're recording this Last Dance discussion. Uh, super excited to see the Last Dance last night until the very end, which we'll get into at the end of Episode 6 is when they come and cover the Phoenix uh, Suns coverage. And that always just kind of, you know, takes your, your gut and ties it into a knot. But uh, other than that, I'm doing pretty good, man. Yeah. I mean, they showed the Suns. They showed the whole series, uh, basically. But it was by far, I think, the best episode. So that counts for something, right? Yes, without a doubt. Yeah. (laughs) Episode six was awesome. And uh, that's what we're going to discuss here today on the Last Dance discussion. We do this every week following the Last Dance because that's the only thing that's on TV right now that's worth counting down to. Uh, So, you know, every Sunday at 6 p.m. Arizona time, they're showing the Last Dance on ESPN. And we like to talk about it afterwards. You know, it might not all be yeah. Suns-related, but it is uh, basketball-related. And that's what has our heart, is basketball. So without further ado, let me do as I always do, remind you to like us on Facebook, to follow us on Twitter, at Suns Jam. You can hit us up on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter, at Darth Voida. You are? At Matthew Lissy. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Bright Side of the Sun Podcast Network because that's where you are listening to this pod is via Bright Side. So thank you to SB Nation, Vox Media, and Bright Side of the Sun for hosting the Sun's Jam Session Podcast. I'm going to pop open a beer, as I always do, because we got a lot to talk about today, buddy. So let's, let's, pop, do this, it. let's pop this sucker open. The Last Dance, Episodes 5 and 6, which aired on Sunday, I think we can both easily agree were the best episodes we've seen thus far, correct? Yeah, they were great. Um, there's still, I feel like, a lot of footage that we're not seeing from behind the scenes. Uh, I, again, was promised behind the scenes footage. I got, you get some, <laughs> but uh, Bill Stevens even hit on it too earlier and said that we, we would get more with these episodes, but it's been about the same. But I mean, um, a lot better information. I mean, you're in the middle of Jordan's story, so it's still good. I agree with you because, I mean, this video crew followed around the team the entire year. Yes. And we're already going into, like, the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. And I feel like we finally saw something that was kind of cool, and that was Jordan going against one of the old United Center security guards and, like, yeah. you know, just tossing quarters against the wall trying to see who could get closest to him. And Randy Brown, I think my favorite part was when Randy Brown asked him for a playoff ticket. And he's like, uh, you know, what, what, what does he say? 
Oh, I forget. So, you know, that's one of the parts where I didn't really hear it because audio, whenever they do the behind the scenes footage, yeah, it's very really bad. And yet they're like reading subtitles. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't hear what he said. I know oh something about so, God so, getting a ticket or something. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I need yeah. a ticket next to God. He's like, you, well, you just got one from him. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. And Brandon Brown's that's like, no, leave that right. in the video. So I mean, that, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff I was expecting a lot of this documentary to be. And yeah. We finally have touched on a little bit of it. But it still isn't as extensive as I think we both hoped. Yeah. Does he have his own office? Or did he have his own office in the back of the the locker room there? Because he had a desk. He's always sitting at the desk with the security guards. Is that his office? Do you know? I, f- I feel like it's kind of like the Michael Jordan holding area. And, I think so, too. And it, a there's TV, a desk yeah. that has, like, his tickets in it. So it's got to yeah. be, like, the Jordan compound. His- I think so. I think it's just this little hangout spot away from the media and everybody else. So it was actually because I think he went from there into the locker room once. Oh, no, no, that was something else. But I think the locker room was like separate from that area. So I I just thought that was different. His own little place that has had really shitty carpet. Yeah. Notice that carpet was rancid. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, is that the old stadium that or the old arena or was it? No, that's the United Center. Oh, was it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I believe that they created the United Center in 1994. I feel like when the Suns played against the Chicago Bulls in 93, that they were playing at the old Chicago stadium. If I remember correctly, I haven't Googled it or, uh, you know, I don't know the correct answer to that, but I think that that's true. I feel like, the house that Jordan built, the United Center, came like in 94, 95, sometime after that. So by the time he is in the back throwing quarters against the wall, that is the United Center. And that was okay. the choice on carpet that they made. Yeah, cheap. Gross. So, <laughs> so starting with episode five, one thing that I absolutely loved was the fact that they started off with kind of doing a little talking points on the Air Jordans. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, but I am a huge Jordan sneaker fan. I have a couple pairs of his. I have like my golf shoes are Jordan threes. I have Air Force one or not Air Force. I have Air Jordan ones, but I have them in the shattered backboards. So they look like the Phoenix Suns. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jordan as like a shoe brand? Do you like them? Do you not? Do you not care? I, I've actually never had a, a pair. I've never had a pair of Nikes too. I know that's very, very strange, but really? I've always been like a Converse Vans kind of guy. I just always wore those. Um, I don't know why. I think it may be because everyone wore Nikes. Everyone had Jordans. So I just always go the opposite way. Um, <laughs> Against I don't know the why. grain. Yeah. I just, the look of them are great. I think they look fantastic. I know you're a big fan of them. Um, also too, like, I guess he wanted to be an Adidas guy and I love Adidas too yeah. as well. But um, I know you got a couple of pairs of Jordans. It's crazy to think that Adidas was uh, not really interested or have the capability to bring on an athlete and like, Nike was the track shoe. I mean, that's kind of like what yeah. DeAndre Ayton did when he went with Puma because Puma wasn't really known as basketball shoes, and now they're starting to sign some athletes. And, you know, yeah. obviously it's a different time and cultural phenomenon, what have you, but it's just interesting how Puma is kind of like what Nike used to be. Yeah, and then Converse, too, was the big thing. Yep. All the big stars had it, and I think they didn't think – what did they say in the doc? That they didn't think Jordan would be um, able to, like, pass – um, bird and magic as one of the all-time greatest so they didn't really want to sign him because they didn't think he would live up to the legend i guess is that what it was yeah it was something like that it was weird how they kind of explained it but it, initially it sounded like you know they didn't want to put him in the same stratosphere as the guys who were wearing the converses he wasn't worthy yeah. yet and because of that decision he ended up going with nike and their goal was what like 
you know, $3 million worth of sales in the first four years of the contract. And I mean, obviously blew that out of the water. Those Jordan ones to this day are still just such a sick, beautiful pair of shoes. Uh, personally, this sucks because I can't really go in depth about Jordan shoes and what your favorites are and whatnot, you know, because you're not a, a really a yeah. sneaker geek like I kind of am. But for those of you who are listening who are, I think the Jordan 11s are just like perfection when it comes to a shoe. And those are actually Jordan's favorite shoe. And I also am a huge fan of obviously the ones, the fours and the eights. Those are probably, if I was to put them in order, it would go 11s, fours, ones, eights. And then, you know, the other ones kind of fall in line after there. I really like the, uh, the 10s and the 12s too. Uh, mm-hmm. I, own, I used to own a pair of 12s. Uh, but that's it. That's all my, my little spiel on Air Jordans. And I just loved how they kind of gave a nod to it at the beginning of this uh, episode five. And then they go into the 1992 NBA Finals, Clyde Drexler. And this was the first time in the episode, and it wasn't the last, where you saw that Jordan would do anything to find a grudge against a player through no fault of their own, and then just eviscerate them. Because that's exactly yeah. what he did with Clyde Drexler. He's like, listen, somebody compared him to me. I'm going to show them that he is not even in the same stratosphere as I am. I mean, and he, and he did. He, he killed him. He didn't want to be thought of as lesser. He wanted to be the greatest at everything, even against the guy playing uh, with the quarters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, You know what I mean? Like, you can see it on his face after he lost. He, he was pissed. Um, but... I think anybody that he thought maybe could, you know, take take the game away or if if someone were to review the game and we do this all the time and see who's the best player on the on the court, they wanted he always wanted to be Michael and he did that for the fans always and for him to find the grudges either way he could or any way he could just you know, it could be made up. He I feel like he probably <laughs> made stuff up just to make himself mad, just to make himself the greatest player. That was very interesting, dude. And then you also saw it too um, after the after they won the championship this year with Kukoc. Um, yeah, how, you know, like the pork Tony Kukoc. Yeah, I know, right? How Kraus was actually a big fan of Kukoc, and he wanted to show Kraus, you know, you're wrong. This guy is not as good as me, and he's not going to be like a replacement or anything in the future to take over the Bulls. Yeah, then I love that because they go right to the dream team, and I know you were probably too young for the dream team, right? Yeah, no, I was three. Yeah, the the dream team was every bit of what they talked about on the documentary. Cultural phenomenon, made the basketball a world-renowned sport, and was just a fun summer. I remember, uh, in fact, uh, my little brother, my youngest brother, is 10 years younger than me. He was born in 92. And I remember right after he was born was the whole, you know, he was born in May in 92. It was like the finals, beat Portland, and then right into – the dream team. And it was just, it was like the coolest thing to see these guys finally come all together and play basketball. Because again, before that it was all collegiate guys. And I always felt bad because like the one collegiate guy who was on that team was Christian Leitner and nobody liked him. (laughs) Everybody hated (laughs) Christian Leitner and Duke. And then you see kind of something that uh, I think is really of note considering how much flack Jordan received over the past week with Isaiah Thomas, Mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, Isaiah Thomas was very defensive about what happened with him not uh, getting up and shaking their hands at the end of the 1990 uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, some people were kind of like, well, you know, Jordan could have been a little bit nicer about it, not calling him an asshole to this day and what have you. You know, why does he hold grudges the way that he does? But then you see that, like, one of the reasons that Isaiah Thomas was on, wasn't on the Dream Team 
It's because fucking everybody hated Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I guess you could say everyone did, but then also you hear Barkley later on say like he works with him now and he's a great guy mm-hmm. and um, he doesn't really want to give him a bad name just because he respects him just like Jordan, him and his game, and he respects him as a professional. Um, but these are things where we still, even with the behind-the-scenes footage, we're not going to see things that would give us basically – permission to say isaiah thomas is an asshole because i feel like there's so much more that we don't know just like how does kraus i still don't know i'm gonna ask this question again how does kraus not like um phil jackson well how did that old thing happen i don't feel like we even found out really maybe we'll find out later in this whole series but like there's just things we still don't know between these players and the the stuff they do behind the scenes to where we can get confirmation like oh yeah this guy was an asshole well I think with Isaiah Thomas, it's kind of apparent that he was because of the way that Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, they didn't, they weren't fans of him either by the way that he played on the court. You know, personally, he might yeah. be a great guy. He might be one of the best guys you've ever met. But when it comes down to play, and that's where they garner respect for this guy, he was a prick on the court to them. He used to get in pushing matches and shoving matches with Bird and Magic. And I mean, they didn't want to play with this guy. And I think that uh, it was actually interesting. I was listening to Bickley and Murata on 98.7 the other day. And Bickley, you know, hey, uh, he, was, yeah. he was killing Isaiah Thomas. He couldn't stand him. He's really? Like, he's like, I talked to Isaiah Thomas one time, and I was going to do an interview with him. And uh, he, uh, he's like, oh, just call me back. And I called him back, and I called him back, and he never answered. And, you, know, <laughs> you know, and he's like, he's like, Isaiah Thomas is one of those guys who – puts on a nice face he's got that real nice baby face smile it's a creepy smile though it kind of is it (laughs) really is creepy it's always been creepy to me ever since i was young but uh, but but it but it's it lacks genuine uh genuineness and that's what was kind of saying bick was like listen you know this guy to my face was like hey you know i really appreciate uh you reaching out i I look forward to giving you an interview and then he just froze him out for like weeks Mm -hmm. So even to this day, Bickley's like, I don't respect this guy at all because of the way he kind of handled his business. And you can kind of see how that translates to his business on the court. And because of that, he wasn't on that dream team. Now, the other thing to remember also about Isaiah not being on that dream team, he probably wasn't the best point guard available to be on that dream team, right? He's at the back end of his career. Yeah. and, And John Stockton was clearly better than him at that time. At that point, and plus he had magic on the game on the team too. I know he's not the traditional like smaller point guard, but I mean you have those two, and then Isaiah. Where would that fit? Would it have ruined the chemistry? Probably. I mean, you probably might them saying that no one liked him. Plus, like you already had two great point guards. Why would you even need him on the team? Mm -hmm. I know he's a lot of people's favorite player, like ever. But I mean, if you're a Pistons fan, of course. (laughs) um, But I just feel like maybe it just wasn't the right fit. Maybe that's all it was. um, But who knows, man? Who knows? Who knows indeed? I'll tell you what I do know is as you watch Jordan walking through Barcelona and walking onto the field, he's wearing some ugly-ass shit, man. Again, mm. the fashion of the early 90s was just horrible. Yeah, I did I'm, notice that, yeah. <laughs> it's like embarrassing, <laughs> you know? And it makes you just wonder. I know just looking back at my high school days, I graduated from high school in 2001. I look back and I was like, Ugh. You know, it's like, I wonder, you know, does every – generation look back like 20 years and just have the you know lucy uh lucille ball face when it comes to that because yeah. i mean like every time i look back i don't I'm, i never look back and go man that guy looked cool 
<laughs> yeah, that's why you move on. I feel like though now, like there's not like a new style. Everyone goes back to like the older days, like the 70s, the 80s or something. But the 90s probably will never come back just because it was probably the ugliest era. But it might. You never know. We you might get bored know. and bring it back, man. Well, during this Someone might like it look cool. <laughs> but also, Kukoc. So did you, did you pronounce his name? Is it Kukoc or Kukrach? It, 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 I know. It's Kukoc. It's Tony Kukoc. It's Kukoc. Okay. But in the, his early days, they didn't know how to say it, so they're Kukoc. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's <laughs> so wrong. But again, I just think yeah. it's so funny how that's how Pippen and Jordan responded to just simply knowing that Kraus liked this guy. They had drafted him. Tony Kukoc decided to stay in Croatia because of the civil war that's going on. He doesn't want to leave his family. And therefore, he doesn't join the Bulls until a little bit later when things stabilize in the region. But simply yeah. because they knew that the GM was a fan of this guy, they decided to destroy him. Would that ever happen with the Suns? Okay, now obviously, we, I'm a fan personally of James Jones. I believe you are as well. I'm a fan of Monty Williams. I believe you are as well. And I think we're both not fans of Robert Sarver. Would you ever see the Suns do the same thing where they find out that, you know, Robert Sarver is really big on a guy, so they decide to destroy him? Do they have the capability to do that, or do they, is that just not the modern NBA? Um, I can see it in one instance. One instance being if we went back two years and well, let's say, like, uh, Booker was an actual all-star, and the Suns were making the playoffs, and it's like uh, we have someone's pick to where we might get the number one or two pick the next year. And we're playing against Doncic. Um, I can see like okay. Booker putting up a great game going against Doncic, saying like, no, this guy, because honestly for me, that was one of the big reasons that thought Doncic didn't come here because we have Booker. So I feel like Booker would have been like, no, like this is my team. I'm point book. I'm going to play like my game. I'm just as good as Doncic. And if he's here, he's going to take over a lot of my minutes and a lot of the possession of the ball. So I feel like that would go into his mind and he would actually – compete like Pippen and, and Michael did against Kukoc. I think it would be the same exact thing, but that's the only instance I can think of right now when thinking about it. Yeah, I just I feel like the modern NBA, there's no grudges. The competitiveness is a different kind of competitiveness. It's, yeah. They're almost competing for namesakes and monikers. You know, I want to be known as the best or I want to be the hot thing on Instagram or Twitter for a night. Versus, yeah. you know, truly having just that razor sharp focus and continual dedication to destroying your opponents. What was interesting is by the time you get to episode six, you know, they really start to go into Jordan's gambling issues and yeah. they ask him a couple times, you know, hey, do you have a gambling problem? He's like, no, I got a competition problem. And I think that's mm -hmm. such a great way to put it because to Michael Jordan, you know, his, his biggest vice is wanting not never to lose. You know, and they talked about it a little bit in a couple episodes before when growing up with his older brothers, you know, he, he didn't want to lose them. He was smaller and, and they were better and they, they beat him up, you know, on the court and whatnot to the point where he had that fire never to lose. And he took it to such a serious level uh, that, you know, even when it came to gambling, it's like, you know, he's like, I'm not hawking my watch. I'm not, you know, divorcing my wife. I'm, I'm losing some money on the golf course. You know, it's not yeah. that big of a deal. But you think, like, he got that idea of being such a competitive guy. I mean, he he is, and I mean, I'm sorry, he was, and he won a championship. And I think just him getting over the hump and winning the championship, I think it just goes to all all else, where he thinks he can just, he can win at everything. 
You know what I mean? So uh-huh. once you become the best player in the NBA, once you win a championship and MVP, you can do anything you want in life and you're going to win. So I think just him knowing I'm this good at, at the, at basketball, I can be this good at everything. Yeah. And he thought he was, is there anybody cooler than like Michael Jordan on a golf course? Um, Michael Jordan interviewing with sunglasses. Yeah. That was, that, that, <laughs> that was weird, man. No, but like, that was cool seeing him on the golf course. It's just like, I can't wait for Saturday to go golf. Dude. Oh, I know, I know. But yeah, he just couldn't wait his tea time. He got out of there until Scotty get the hell out of there. And yeah. Robin went to he's go like, get some he's chicken like hon- wings. Honking on the fucking bus horn. He's like, leave yeah. Scotty alone. We got a three thirty tea time. I'm like, you yeah. are my idol, man. You are a legend. But I yeah. think it's also uh, interesting how, you really start to see the isolation that occurred for Michael. And one of the reasons why he ultimately retired that first time, you know, as a kid growing up and you, and you see this guy who is just dominating the NBA, he's the best player in the world. He wins, win, you know, all I do is win, 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 no matter what, what? you know, that, that was Michael Jordan. And then he just gave it all up. And obviously they're going to talk about that in the next episode, but you can see the precursors to that because he was isolated. It's him just sitting in his hotel room, Smoking cigars, which I got to start smoking more cigars because he just makes it look so cool, right? Yeah, I would if I didn't get like migraines from them. I would <laughs> definitely be hitting those. Yeah, I love cigars. Yeah, me too. But I just, I don't smoke them. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be <laughs> well, like I better Next Jordan, time I walk I in your house, you better be on that couch with your uh, yes. orange juice and a cigar. Yes, and an empty glass of wine. Yes. Uh, but I mean, that's an interesting perspective into the world of Jordan because you see the opposite of that in Dennis Rodman, his teammate who goes out, doesn't care. He's dating models. He's dating, you know, Madonna. Uh, he's, he's getting drunk in Vegas. And then Jordan's just in a hotel room and everywhere he goes, it's a circus. And I will say that, uh, I did see something very funny on Twitter the other day where there was a bunch of people who were, uh, protesting COVID at a courthouse and there's cops yeah. all in front and it looked like just like everyone was like swarming the cops and your comment yeah. on Twitter was money. It's like, is, is Jordan staying in that hotel? <laughs> Cause it was the same time we're watching the thing yeah. and everyone's just surrounding him. It's like you go from elevator to lobby to game to elevator to lobby to people just everywhere. It's just a continual thing for a man. But do you think they just handled it differently? Cause I know like Jordan had to live up to expectations because he said it for, for himself so early on in his career where you know Rodman didn't really have any expectations so I think just for that reason Rodman can enjoy himself more but Jordan couldn't well I think it was a different set of expectations you know Jordan's supposed to be perfect he's the superhero he's the guy who you look up to and you want your kids to follow in his footsteps from a competitive level and you know caring about winning and competing and the expectations for Rodman are different because he's the party animal you know, he's the guy who is going out there and getting trashed. So when he goes out and he gets trashed, you're like, oh, it's just, you know, yep. Robin's getting trashed again. Where if they found Jordan doing that, it'd be completely different. I think it's yeah. very similar to 2020, if you will. The expectations of 2020 with everything that's going on this year, everything is so low now. I mean, the Pentagon just announced the other day that there's fucking UFOs. Nobody cares. There's like these giant killer hornets now in Washington. Nobody cares. You know, I mean, it's just where if you, any one of the, either one of those things, if you told me last year, there was like giant killer hornets, swarms of them killing bees in Washington and they could invade, you know, places around here. I'm like, damn, we need to get on that. Or if like three years ago, you told me that like there's UFOs and the Pentagon confirmed it. I'd be like, oh my God, we're going to be talking about this for a long time. Nobody's even talking about that stuff because the expectations have changed. 
you know 2020 is equivalent to dennis rodman as a year it's the personification of rodman if he was a year that's true and uh, i think even i listened to bill simmons today but i was thinking it too where he's sitting in his hotel room and he can't really do anything it just reminds me of quarantine where yes like that's the way he was living his life all the time was just the quarantine life like we are right now man yeah it's it's ridiculous how uh jordan was quarantining before quarantine was cool man yes yeah he was did everything better and different uh but again you know episode six gave us kind of that insight to that uh i like it because it's really starting to bounce back and forth between the timelines uh you know between 98 and then 92 is the dream team and then 93 uh which i really thought that that team wasn't the best bulls team they talked about how the 92 team might have been the best bulls team and i agree with that watching them growing up as well as seeing some of those highlights i mean you saw how they moved the ball how they were just so effective offensively and defensively and active and by 93 the injuries were starting to hit the team i know bj armstrong was out for a while and john paxson wasn't playing overly well cartwright was out a while so the team at the end of like a three-year run you know you really start to see that fatigue and you start to see that it's a team that is having a hard time getting through opponents. And then, they, of course, they have the legendary 1993 Eastern Conference Finals matchup against the New York Knicks. And, you know, they lose, what, game one, and then they sweep mm-hmm. them from there on out. They go 4-1 because Jordan, again, using grudges. What's the grudge this time? It's the media. Yeah, they yeah. actually they were down 2-0 in that series. And yeah, that's right. That's right. They did well. I think it was it was two two, and then and in game five they won by just um, basically this guy. I think it's, his last name was Smith. He played for the Knicks, and he couldn't get the ball in the hoop underneath the basket. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> for like the last ten <laughs> seconds. Yeah, and they I lost game, that game five that way. So I mean, it was it was closer than than what people thought. I think when you look back at it, um, the thing is like Jordan and after even beating Phoenix, he was just relieved, and they even showed yes. it like. He was just like, you know, the Suns, I feel like, you know, it would have been more of an enjoyment win if they would have won. They would have been. Of course. You know what I mean? Because they, of course, none of them have done it before. Jordan's just like, I just got to get through this and go home and relax. That's, that's what it seemed like. And uh, that's why B.J. Armstrong kind of described Jordan. Uh, I think it was in the 92 year where he talked about um, just he was playing a different kind of game where Jordan was just playing to win the game basically but not really playing basketball he's just like managing it in a way to where he's on a different level than anybody else and there's just and it's impossible to defeat that guy just because he knows he's gonna win he knows the ways to win but he's not even really playing basketball in a way it was just really strange way to describe it but you can see it you can see how he did that to the suns and the knicks and every other team (laughs) and everybody else who was in his path well, and that's the difference between a hungry team like the Suns that year and a team that's trying to live up to expectations. When they finally do climb that mountain and plant their flag on the top, it's not a celebratory plant of a flag. It is a planting of relief. You know, they're more relieved to have conquered the expectations than they are happy to have won it. And that's always the difference between, you know, a team that wins it for the first time versus a team that's, you know, second or third time. And you really see that with Jordan. And it's something that, in hindsight, you don't think about it too often. But you just think about how hard it is to win time and time again. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy in any way, shape, or form. I actually, after I was done watching The Last Dance last night, I turned over to MLB Network, and they're doing Game 7 Sundays. And they had, 
the New York Yankees versus the Arizona Diamondbacks 2001 World Series on. And I watched the entire game because I've never seen the broadcast. I was at that game. I never sat down and actually watched the entire broadcast. And what I forget is if the Yankees had pulled off that game, that would have been the fourth championship in a row. Like the last team to do that was like the 56 Yankees or something. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And how they were talking about it, you know, during that broadcast, they were like, listen, you know, at the end of this, like, this is it. Like at the end of this season, Paul O'Neill's retiring. Tino Martinez is a free agent. El Duque is a free agent. Uh, Chuck, Chuck Knobloch's a free agent. I mean, the whole, this whole team that started to run in 1996 is hitting the, either the free agent market or they're retiring at the end of this season. And it's amazing what they've accomplished because not so many teams accomplish this when they have that window that's open. You know, you talk about teams and, and their windows and how, how big is a window. And it's like for the Warriors example. Everybody's like, oh, well, their windows, you know, it's three, four years, you know, after they've won a couple championships. It's like, yes, it could be, but between fatigue, personalities, uh, GMs, everything that kind of molds together and makes a team and an organization, it is so hard to keep everything together and keep everybody with that fire and that hunger. And you even see it with Jordan. I mean, he won. He had the competitiveness to win, but he was over it at that point. Yeah, and you need a break. Um, I think every team does, especially the Warriors. They had the the break this year where no one was playing. Yeah. Um, but also, so Jordan leaves the NBA, but um, why would he – okay, if, he, if it's because of the media, he needs to relax. Going to baseball, wouldn't you think that would be even more hectic dealing with the media then, answering the same question again over and over? Why are you here playing baseball, explaining everything over and again? Like, I just don't know, is that really even a break from anything if he goes to baseball? I don't think necessarily he needed the break from basketball, as they're going to most likely show in Episode 7. You know, his father dies. And due to that, you know, he's really – he's already kind of on the edge. You know, he's tired of being isolated. He's tired of the media asking the questions. He's tired of being under the microscope. And he's contemplating if he has any competitive spirit left. And if I recall – the way that he retired, he's like, listen, I, I've gotten all I've wanted from the sport of basketball. I want a new challenge. And to him, he's always trying to find that new challenge, that new grudge. And baseball was that new grudge. Yeah, he's going to have to answer questions from the media, but he's doing something completely different. It's a completely different routine, especially with uh, baseball. You're playing every night. It's not like yeah. basketball. It's like you play, and then you got like two days off in a city, but you can't go anywhere in the city because you're Michael fucking Jordan. So you have to sit in a hotel room for two days in that city or you have to like drive out to Atlantic city and then get scrutinized for that baseball. It's like, you're playing tonight, you're playing tomorrow, you're playing the next day, you're playing the next day, you know, Oh, there's a day off playing the play, you know? So, I mean, I just think that it was more indicative of him being free and having a different way to approach his life. And again, we don't even, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the perspective is on that because that's not, that'll most likely be in episode seven. Yeah, I don't think we're going to find out anything else that we don't know, though. Uh, yeah. There'll probably be some behind-the-scenes stuff that's like, hey, don't don't look at me drinking this beer. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> so I think that it's just weird to me still because I think he's always going to get the Jordan treatment no matter where he's at, even if he went to go play like hockey or if he was a wrestler or something. I just think he would always have that same treatment. So I know his father dies, um, but I just think um, if it has to do something with him taking a break from all the action and stuff, I just, I don't know if that's really the reason. I just, it just doesn't make sense to me because I feel like no matter where he's at, he's going to be treated the same exact way and have to go through the same exact stuff. Does, does that make sense? No, absolutely. I mean, again, he's Michael Jordan. I don't know if you yeah. saw 
after the last dance, Charles Barkley was on with uh, Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter. And yeah. he said, there's two guys in this world that I've been around that get a completely different treatment than any pe- people I've ever seen. He's like, no offense to Bird or Magic or anybody out there, but Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods were on a whole nother level than every bur- everybody else. From the way, that, yeah. the way that people reacted when they saw him was completely different than anything else. He's like, I've been a, you know, a, an NBA star. I know what it's like when people react to me. It's completely different with Jordan and Tiger. And it's true. I mean, I don't know if leaving the NBA – was going to solve what he needed. But I mean, I think in the long run, it kind of did. It allowed him an opportunity to step away from everything for about a year and a half. And then just realize that he wanted to continue down that competitive path and come back and, and play. Uh, but again, I think it's, yeah. it's just, it's just interesting to see that hint of isolation. And it, that's all it is. It's just a small little glimpse into what Jordan's day-to-day life really was. And I thought that was yeah. just super interesting because you never really think about that. No, you don't. It's just like Michael Jackson, basically, in the way, <clears throat> without the uh, diddling. Yeah, but, um, diddle-free zone for Jordan. Yeah, but also Jordan, too. Um, I think if he continues down this path after year three of winning the championship and the media's tearing him down, they're trying to. They're trying oh, yeah. to tear him oh, down, yeah. and they're getting close. And I think, I guess they they succeeded in a way, but also I think if he just stays there and continues to play, he probably doesn't even stay more than – another year or so right if he wins another championship a fourth one you think it just cuts his career even shorter i don't know that's a great question i think that if he continues to play if he doesn't take the baseball break i do think that he might end up with six championships but he cuts his career back by a year or two yeah it's it's so physically uh, demanding of what he's doing how he has to carry that team and you look at the competition that he would have had to face minus those two years i mean the rockets won it both years that he was gone which was a completely different kind of team than any team that the bulls had placed uh faced uh they had played a lot of physical teams in the east and by the time they got to the west and they played the finesse teams those teams uh were no match for chicago's physicality but the houston rockets had a little bit of both they had finesse and physical physicality they had hakeem olajuwon who could be physical down low but was you know, more of a finesse guy. They had Clyde Drexler in the 94, or I'm sorry, the 95 season. Uh, but I mean, but again, I mean, Jordan will find a grudge any way he can to get that yeah. competitive edge. So I don't know if it cuts his career short if he does stay. I feel like it might, you know, I mean, by the that time, might. by the time 98 comes around, let's see in 98, uh, he's what, 35, I want to say. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and he played three more years after that, or two, I think, after he retired and came back. But I mean, it was just a different Jordan. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah, um, he talks a lot, and like I hear it, you, you always hear like the Charles Barkley. I don't want to be a role model thing, but Jordan talks about how he wishes he wasn't a role model. He wishes like his whole the whole Democratic thing where he didn't support the senator. Yeah. Um, and just how he made that comment, but he just doesn't want to back something up where he doesn't know anything about. I mean, he contributed some money, but he doesn't really want to comment and, you know, influence anybody on their actions towards who they should vote for because he doesn't know anything about politics. And I like how he even put out there, like, I don't want to be the role model. I just, you know, he's so focused on his craft and doing what he wants, but then people just want him to be more. They want him to do Mm -hmm. more. And that just that drives me crazy about not just Jordan, but anybody, even LeBron. It's like people expect so much from these people or from these players, 
but like their job is to play basketball and if that's all they want to do that's fine if they have something else that we're interested in and I know LeBron does a lot of work with like communities and schools and all that I feel like a lot of them do mm-hmm. we don't get to see it but I just think their political views any kind of views that they have and they don't want to share also they do want to share that's good for them but if they hesitate to go the other way for people to like to get so upset at them for that it's something that really drives me nuts and I I just, I'll never understand how we can just really look at these players as someone that is like our son or someone that we're married to, or, you know, like we're their mom or dad that we have to like, you know, have expectations for them. It's just, it's crazy. Well, I think the only expectations we should have for them are on the court, you know? I mean, that's, it's, it's such a double-edged sword and that's what celebrity is. You know, if you have, you have Jordan who wants to be a role model, but he wants to be a basketball role model. He wants you to pattern your game after his and understand his competitive fire and emulate that. That's what he wants to be remembered for. He doesn't want to put out who, he, uh, who he's voting for or what his political views and agenda are. And again, yeah. it's a double-edged sword. If Jordan does come out and say, hey, I'm going for this guy because he's a Democrat and he's potentially going to be the first African-American senator from the state of North Carolina, now you've alienated a whole bunch of people who have, are voting against him, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So he chose, I'll be damned if I don't, because now I'm not going to be uh, attached to any of these things. You know, I personally don't give a shit what any celebrities' uh, political opinions are. You know, yes, it's a great platform for them to try to make a change. And I understand yeah. that. But at the same time, like, I don't care. I'm, you know, it's not going to affect my opinions and views. I'm not going to sit there and say, you know what? I have a stance on this issue. And then Jordan comes out and has an opposing stance. I'm like, you know what? I've changed my mind. It's not <laughs> the way it works. So yeah. I respect the fact that Jordan uh, did that. And I think that Charles took it to the next level when he made that. I'm not a role model commercial. And it's true. Yeah. They, they, they should be role models for competitiveness and desire to win and, uh, you know, how to handle yourself with the spotlight of the media on you. They shouldn't be role models for how to approach your personal political issues or your religious issues. You know, again, if you are basing those issues off of what a sports athlete is saying or doing, you got, you got, you got some problems. You got some problems. And, also, like the behind the scenes stuff, the minimal part of it, where you see Jordan and he's talking, he's so different from any interview you see. Because, like, the Bill Belichick, where he goes up to interview and Bill yeah. Belichick is, you know, no personality. But then you see him in the locker room, uh, Jordan, where he's just very fast talking, very quick, witty kind of guy, um, high energy. I know he's high energy because he's on the court, he's crazy, and, you know, they're all athletic. And, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, his his personality and stuff is more high energy than I imagined him before watching this. And I don't know what I, why that matters, but I'm just saying, cause like these are dudes that you look up to the role models, but you see them in their interviews, you see them in the commercials and that's how you think they are. Mm-hmm. But I always think like, if you actually hang out with these guys and you want to be friends with them, like they have a, such a different personality than what you think. And that's why I just, uh, that's why I just wanted to point that out. Cause I didn't imagine Jordan having that kind of, like kind of preppy, like talking kind of guy. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I just feel like he had a totally different personality than what I would have thought. Well, there you go. That means that the behind the scenes footage is giving you what you wanted. A little bit. 
<laughs> well, I think the last thing, obviously, we need to talk about is the 1993 NBA Finals. They obviously covered that in this episode, and you really got to see a couple different things that excited me. Uh, one was just seeing those old Suns uniforms looking yeah. great in high definition. I mean, those were great. God, yeah. I wish we had those back, man. Yeah, the purple ones, especially when yeah. they were in Chicago. Yes. Yeah, Barkley so runaway good. dunk. Yeah, look good. Oh, I miss those. Yeah. And then I actually today on NBA TV, they were doing like this date in history. So I'm, yeah. you know, right before we got on this podcast, I was watching the 1994 first round of uh, the playoffs. And it was the night that Charles Barkley dropped 56 on the Warriors in Golden State. So I got to see those uniforms again. And it's like, man, those are good looking uniforms. Uh, the other thing that yeah. you got to see is just how good Charles Barkley was. You know, a lot of fans who are younger don't remember seeing Charles Barkley play and how athletic he was. You know, he was the round mound of rebound and everyone saw him kind of balloon to be a larger gentleman in his later career, (laughs) but he was super athletic, super physical, very uh, Zion-ish, if you will, you know, a great second step, very Mm -hmm. athletic, could dunk, you know, not as highlight dunks as like Zion does, but just super athletic. And it was interesting how he stated that he – Thought he was the best player in the world until he went up against Jordan in the 93 finals. Yeah. But the confidence that he had, though, before that, it's um, in that statement, it's something like, did you even know? Like, he thought that? Would you even think no. that? I mean, it's a good thing to think, but I, I feel like just maybe that year, too, he thought, like, no, this is the team that's going to win and I'm the best player. I'm going to beat Michael. And then Michael just pretty much, he scored 41 points a game in the finals. Yeah. And then also just watching that, the Paxton three, but they had the sad piano music playing behind oh, it I know. <laughs> just to make it worse. It's like, I've seen that many times, but yes. not with like the sad piano music Yes, played it's behind. Just, so it just breaks your heart every time you see it that. Does, man. And then of course, you know, Krauss was a fan of Marley. So Jordan yeah. decided he's going to pick on Marley and goes at him the whole series. And one thing I was listening to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo I think it was last week and they're doing their own little thing on the ringer yeah. podcast called the rear watch of bulls. And they were talking about the 93 series against the Suns, And they noted how easy it was for Jordan to get to the hoop. He could get to the hoop anytime he could. And that was one of the faults with that Suns team that year, that year. Again, the fault that we have every year is we just don't have the size. There's yeah. no one down low who could really stop Jordan. Once he blew past Marley, it was whatever he wanted to do. And It's just so disappointing, especially that game six. You know, one thing they didn't really talk about was the fact that the Suns, if you include that last shot that KJ got blocked, which they didn't show on the dock, the Suns missed seven out of their last eight field goals to end that game, and they lost by a point. If they make one of those field goals, that Paxton three still has the Suns up by three with the ball. I mean, they could have had a game seven easy, and when the Bulls were playing like shit in the fourth quarter, because Jordan had nine points, all of the nine points that the Bulls had in the fourth quarter, the Suns just couldn't pull away. And had they pulled away, would have forced the game seven in Phoenix, and you don't know what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But sadly, the you know, Pippen to Horace to Paxson for three, and that's where the Suns, you know, that's a lot, those are the last minutes that the Suns played in the NBA Finals because they have not been back since. Yeah, you brought up Priscilla, too. He had a hard time with this because he was really big on the Suns. Yeah. And he even mentioned, like, it was kind of hard to watch. It's funny because he's not even a Suns fan, but he's a big he Barkley guy. He was a big Barkley guy. So 
Uh, I think it was a tough for a lot of people because this was the Bulls winning their third. People were probably, you know, against the Bulls. I know oh, everyone loved Jordan. Everyone loved Jordan, but right? Or else were they against Jordan by this time? Did they I, want them to lose? Well, I think that internationally they were probably for Jordan because yeah. that's how it just kind of went. But I think domestically, unless you're a Suns fan, you probably are, you know, you were having the Bulls hangover. You were kind of over it. You know, it's like the Patriots and the Warriors and Alabama. Yeah. Seems, you know, these teams are always winning. Okay, I want to see somebody else win. It'd be nice to see that Jordan is mortal. But again, that's what he does. He proves everybody wrong. So, <laughs> uh, The last thing I will say on The Last Dance was I was a big fan of the soundtrack on these two episodes. Uh, they had uh, an Outcast song playing. Uh, oh, uh, Rosa, Rosa Parks. Parks. Yeah, such yeah, a great, great song. Yeah. And I mean, just the way that they just, you know, kind of putting this thing together. It's just, it's a fantastic watch. My dad, who is 74 years old, gave me a call right after it was done, was talking about it. And we were talking about where we were when Paxson hit that three. And we were eating Bigfoot pizzas. And I asked my dad, did we get that from Pizza Hut? And he said, no, it was from Round Table Pizza in uh, Simi Valley, California, which is where we lived at the time. And essentially yeah. what it was, it was like a, a pizza that was like three feet long by one feet wide. And we used to smash on that during the NBA Finals when we were living in Simi Valley. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, so it's fun going back and reminiscing those things. Uh, another thing I noticed is as they're going through the 98 season, they wore those black jerseys a lot. The Bulls did. I wasn't a big fan of those. Yeah, black ones are tough to pull off, I feel like, especially when you got the red, because yeah. the red is so much darker, too. So you have the red and the black. It's kind of hard, dude. That's why I feel like the Cardinals don't have good black jerseys. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. The The black jerseys just, at least they have the white number, so at least it yeah, pops white, a little bit more. The white and black is always good, but red and yeah. black, no. Do you have anything else on this week's Last Dance discussion? No, just... um. You know, let's let's get through this. at the end. <laughs> yeah, let's get through this one, and then um, hopefully there's not too much. I want to see some good behind the scenes footage, but I don't want I don't want to <laughs> see a lot of judgment from people out there. You're on saying that every media. week. I know. I just you know just leave it. Let it be. It's in the past. Everyone needs to move on. Isaiah Thomas and Jordan. <laughs> unless unless Isaiah did something that we don't know. I don't know. Who knows, dude? Well, I'm looking forward to next week, and hopefully, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking forward to hearing the Suns Jam Session podcast cover it again. You know, we enjoy doing this pod. We appreciate everybody who subscribes and follows us on Twitter at Suns Jam and Instagram at Suns Jam and Facebook. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida, Matthew. Matthew, Matthew Lissy. And uh, again, you know, thank you for tuning in and have a great day. I'm done talking. All right, everybody have a good night and stay home and love your family. Amen. Amen.